All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. Um, as the kids are being dismissed and we're kind of transitioning, over the last couple of weeks, one of the things that Paul's been talking about in the book of Ephesians is the importance of being thankful. And I just want to hear, take a moment to reflect on this last week. You might even have to pull your phone out and look at your calendar to remember all that you've done. But where have you seen evidence of God's grace in this last week? And when you think of a story, just shout it out of some place that you're thankful. Yeah, the leaves change colors. It's like one of those weeks where we only get about a couple of weeks where they're just we're reminded of the beauty of creation. What's that? Oh, yeah. It's always a blessing when a family member doesn't have pink eye and the rest of the family, that means the rest of the family's not going to get pink eye. That's great, Robert. Robert got a chance to share with three different internet guys. Good. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Up from Florida, right? Good. It's always good to spend time with parents. That's great. Yeah, Devante. Okay, we will, Devante. Appreciate that. Lashandra's dead. We'll pray for him. James, did you have something? That's good, just seeing God's work in your life, his evidence of that. It's awesome. Well, today, as we kind of settle in, um, one thing I'm really thankful for, I know we're looking for a larger space, for, especially for our kids, but I'm really thankful to have a dry space to meet today. I drove by our old meeting space, and Indie Memphis Film Festival's taking place this weekend, which means that we would not have been meeting at Circuit Playhouse. And traditionally, we would say, oh, we pray for fall, we pray for good weather, and we'll do an outdoor service. And I'm glad we're not outside today. I'm glad we're inside. And um, today we are recognizing Orphan Sunday. So you're in for a treat. We're not going to have a, a traditional sermon. We're going to have some stories shared with you um, through both video and through um, live folks who are living this story. Orphan Sunday really, um, it began in 2002 uh, on Orphan Sunday. Christians stand for the orphan and the vulnerable. Orphan Sunday came to us as a gift back in 2002 from the church in Africa. While attending a church service in Zambia, an American visitor witnessed the local pastor's passionate call to care for orphans in a community that had been ravaged by AIDS and poverty. During the first ever Orphan Sunday, as the service ended, one after another, the people stepped forward, giving out of their own need, offering their food, some even taking off their own shoes and placing them in the offering basket for orphans. Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. 
And since really 2009, hundreds and now thousands of churches participate in Orphan Sunday. Uh, November 11th is that Sunday. We're going to be camping next weekend, so we decided to move it up a week and share some stories with you today. Before um, we do that, I want to show you a video. Each of those kids um, are right here in Tennessee, and they're all waiting for forever families. They're all adoptable. And I wanted to show you those stories intentionally because I want to share some statistics with you. It's easy to look at the statistics and say, oh, that's something that uh, someone else should do. But I'm going to show you some statistics that if the church in Tennessee and the church in America got really serious about the orphan crisis and the number of kids who are in foster care, we could end it. Like we could have more waiting families than we have waiting kids. Uh, even here in Tennessee, even here in Shelby County, if just maybe half or even a fourth of the churches just got involved and said, we'll just do one. Um, Here's some stats, but before I share those stats with you, James 1.27 says this, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In the foster care system in the United States, some stats for you. There's over 400,000 children. Uh, Three-fourths of those, about 300,000, have the goal of being reunited with their birth family and just need a loving foster family while they wait. A fourth, over 100,000 children in the U.S., are available for adoption and are waiting for their forever family. Every year, roughly 26,000 children age out of the foster care system without a family or a place to belong. Now, I want that to sink in for a minute because when, what I read in James 1.27, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, to care for orphans and widows, um, it's impossible to read the Old Testament. And I know as Christians today, we usually look to Jesus and then we usually look to the New Testament and we're, many of us are not as familiar with the Old Testament. It's impossible to read the Old Testament and come away with the idea that you could be a follower of God and not care for the least of these, not care for those who are powerless not care for those who are left in the margins. And oftentimes the way in which those who are powerless are described um, is using the title, the widows and orphans who are among you, because they are those who are most vulnerable. I think oftentimes we think this is not our problem. It's the government's problem. It's Department of Child Services problem. It's Department of Human Services problem. It's the problem of someone who is poor, someone who is not like me, someone who is under-resourced, but it's not my problem. It's impossible to read the scriptures and to be a follower of Jesus and come to that understanding. In fact, the scriptures point us to the fact that if we love Jesus, then we'll see that we too were those who were without a father and that we were orphans spiritually and that God has redeemed us. And so instinctively, the call of the church should be, this is our problem. These are the people that we are called to love because these are the people that Jesus loves. The foster care 
situation in Shelby County, or rather in Tennessee, um, no, let me back up, I'm sorry. Um, 26,000 kids, uh, go back a slide. 26,000 kids are gonna age out of the foster care system. Here's what that means. No, uh, go back to the white slides you're on, thank you. Um, permanence and a sense of belonging are crucial to the development of a child. A loving, safe, and supportive family provides both of these. When a, when a child's without a family, the result can be tragic. So of those 26,000 um, that are aging out of foster care, meaning they'll turn 18, they won't have a family, they won't have a structure to come around them, um, less than half will graduate from high school, one in four will be in trouble with the law within two years of aging out, nearly two-thirds of the girls will likely be pregnant by age 21, one in four will experience post-traumatic stress disorder in their lifetime, more than twice the rate of U.S. veterans of war, one in five will become homeless, all have an exponentially higher risk of becoming a victim of human trafficking. Those are the results of what happens to our society when the church says, this is not my problem. Um, if you go on to the next slide, you'll see foster care in Tennessee. Just some quick numbers. About 8,000 kids are in foster care, 4,000 foster homes across the state. And then in Shelby County, where we live, there's eight to 900 children in foster care and about 194 foster homes. That means there's literally hundreds of kids who are living um, in group homes and who have structures around them that aren't the kind of structure that really pours into them, that offers the kind of love in which they need. Now think about that stat. How many churches are there in Shelby County? It depends on what you call a church. But if you, if you look, I've seen anywhere from like two to 4,000. There's at least 2,000 churches in Shelby County. Think about that. If just half the churches said, we will have one foster family who will give love and support to one child who happens to be in the foster care system right now, and then the rest of the church will do respite care and we'll be the circle of support and we'll love on them and we'll bring them meals. The church is the perfect organization to come around and we already have the structure in place. We just need the calling. And the calling's there. We just need to be obedient and to listen to the Lord. And so um, today as we think about this huge issue that exists within our society and how we can play a role, one of the things that I want to do is to just get off the stage and let a couple of people share stories of how God has called them to be obedient. They're not extraordinary people. Anybody that's up here today is going to be very ordinary people who heard the call of an extraordinary God and said, we want to join you in the work that you are calling us to do. Today, Around our world, 140 million orphans, 140 million. That stat, God used that statistic in my family's heart and life. Um, back in 2010, we were impacted not by the statistic, but by some families who said, we can't solve the 140 million, but we can solve one. And they said, we're going to be involved. And our family felt the call of God to adopt. And our youngest son, um, many of you know, is adopted from Ethiopia. And it was not something that we set out and planned to do or that we said we're going we're gonna to add to our family through adoption. It was something that God put on our hearts. 
because we realized it was on God's heart. And so today, as you hear these stories, I wanna do a couple things. I wanna celebrate what God is doing in our midst because as staggering as some of these statistics are, there are also uh, beautiful stories that are taking place. In our small congregation, um, I counted last night, there's 12 kids who have been adopted. Um, just in our little congregation, there's, there's three other families that are, that are praying or working through the process um, right now. And we pray that it becomes the norm to see the church care well for Jesus' little brothers and sisters. That's who these individuals are. They're Jesus' little brothers and sisters. And I pray today as you hear some of these stories that you'll be inspired. You're going to hear stories um, from individuals who've adopted, who are working um, with kids who happen to be right now in the foster care system and and need a loving family um, and structure around them. You're going to hear from some people who are working with safe families. And uh, I just pray that your your heart would be open. Um, God hasn't called each of us to adopt. He hasn't called each of us to serve in the, um, with, with children who are in the foster care system. He has called each of us to care. And um, we can serve those who are around us. We can offer respite care so that uh, those who are kind of um, in the trenches or are doing the hard work of um, day in and day out could have time to go out on a date. We could do respite care. We could bring a family a meal. We could pray and encourage and ask, how are you doing? And just be a good listener. There's so many ways that we can be involved. You're gonna hear some of those today. So let me pray for us. And then I'm gonna invite um, Ben and Jessica Roberts to come up. Um, they're good friends who have a lot of experience both um, in the world of adoption as well as in the world of foster care. And they're gonna share some of their story with you. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you saw us as orphans and that you sent Jesus that you loved us enough that you didn't leave us alone when we were powerless. God, when we were resourceless, when we were poor, that you came to us. And Jesus, thank you that you lived a perfect life and that your work accomplished everything that was needed so that we could turn to God and that we could find a forever father. God, may you call us and may we listen today to your calling. Um, God, give us a heart and an awareness. Um, Plant seeds today, God, that would grow into a harvest. God, that we would continue to care for Jesus' little brothers and sisters who are among us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Ben and Jessica and maybe Solomon as well um, to come up. Hey friends, I'm uh, grateful for you guys. Um, the numbers that Brad shared, uh, those are numbers that we can hear and it hurts and it causes some discomfort, but we can kind of go on with our day and we can go out to lunch and do the normal things that we do. But um, I'd encourage you as a, as a exercise of your faith and your prayer to Look at that Tennessee Heart Gallery where that video's from, and there's hundreds of children that are waiting for adoption in Tennessee. There's um, hundreds of videos that are only a couple minutes long, and you see the child, the real, the real life child with their 
face and their voice introducing themselves, telling you guys what their hopes and dreams are. And you can pray for them. And um, it's an exercise where you can't just be the same afterwards and do the normal, the normal part of your day. The day becomes abnormal after that. Um, but when you're doing that, um, don't get too interested in Janaya. I believe she belongs to our family. So um, you can watch her video and pray for her. That'd be wonderful. But um, she might come home to us someday. That's the way God writes the story. I'm just going to share with you um, some verses from Isaiah 58 that have been um, terribly convicting for us and also a, a profound encouragement and blessing. So I'm going to speak them as a judgment to the church and also as a blessing and benediction to the church. Day after day, we seek out the Lord and we seem eager to know his ways as if we were a people that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of our God. We ask God for just decisions and we seem eager for God to come near us why have we fasted and you have not seen us, we say. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And yet, on the day of our fasting, we do as we please. And we exploit all our workers. Our fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And we participate in the great violence around us. We cannot fast as we do today and expect our voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting God has chosen, only a day for us to humble ourselves? <laughs> Is it only for bowing our heads and laying around in our houses? Is not this the kind of fasting God has chosen to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, every heavy weight that is holding them down? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call out and the Lord will answer. He will cry out for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the heavy weight of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and you pour out yourself on behalf of the hungry, and you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will be your guide always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will restore, will, will um, repair the 
age old will repair the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, baby. So we were convicted by this verse and so many others as we've walked out adoption and foster care in our own lives um, because there's so many ways that we get adoption wrong. Um, So if there's a guiding scripture for the church and adoption, it might be Isaiah 58 um, because adoption cuts straight to God's heart. Um, So before I share some of the stories from our life about adoption, um, we feel that it's important to begin with this call to repentance. And so I'll ask, how do, like, a call to repentance like that in Scripture, how does it make us feel? Like, what feelings do you have when we read Scriptures like Isaiah 58 or when we hear, like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Fearful, anxious, sad, some of that stress stresses me out a lot, you know. Um, but not a day goes by as a foster dad or an adoptive dad that I'm not reminded that I'm a sinner, saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. But Christ's salvation work didn't stop just with me or with my family. Um, he's made us partners in his work. Um through the Holy Spirit and through the church. So I'll confess right off the bat, a lot of y'all know this, in the past, I struggled with a drug addiction, I struggled with depression, lawlessness. As a parent, I was pure evil, twisted by the world. I probably look like an okay guy on the outside. Even now, I struggle with sins of covetousness and shame. So hear me when I say, and forgive me for saying this, there are so many ways we at Mercy Hill and the church at large in this city get adoption wrong. Um, so before we despair, I'll fast forward real quick to say it's going to be okay. Um, God never expected us to get adoption right. Um, our failure will show him all the more victorious. But stay with me in the discomfort for just a little bit while I share some of these stories with y'all. It's important to understand this testimony. The first way, and I've done all three of these things that I'm going to share with you, even this morning. But the first way we, I have, and we get adoption wrong is to not hear God's voice interceding for orphans. Um, I walk this out with saints and sinners a lot. People say, and this happens almost every week, oh, I couldn't do what you do. And I say, that's right. I, it's impossible. I can't do what we're doing apart from God. Um, Or they'll say, I would get too attached. I would get too attached to the kids to do foster care. To which I often will say, attachment is the whole point, right? Um, When it comes to early childhood development, there's no such thing as being too attached. If anything, being too attached commends you to foster care. Um, Where would we be if Christ denied us out of fear of attachment? So the reality is where we have excuses, God has conviction. 
like Brad shared with us, James tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Why? Like, what's special about Christians called to work with adoption of orphans or the care of children in the foster care system? The significance in part is because this work is an image of Christ's intercessional work on our behalf. Why does Christ intercede for us? Because we have no voice. The words fail us, and still he loves us. In a similar way, working with those at the margins of our city, children silenced by the system or by their own personal trauma, this is a reflection of Christ's loving intercessional work for us. So I want to say if we've never heard God say one word about adoption or foster care, we have to ask whether we've ever heard God's voice at all. I'm not saying that all believers are called directly to adoption or foster care. But given the huge need, I selfishly wish that were the case sometimes. God's plan's different. Still, he has a place for each one of us um, as his adopted children to intercede. Um, So ask yourself, if you haven't heard from the Spirit on it, ask God today. Um, There are people in your life who don't have a voice and who need your intercession. The second way we get adoption wrong is that we think it is just a social justice issue. Adoption is a deeply spiritual issue. It's a sin issue and it's a grace issue. We get adoption wrong every time we fail to see the spiritual weight of our adoption in Christ. Many of y'all walked with Jess and I through our time with King and Mary. They were very special kids. Returning kids back to their birth parents is traumatic. It hurts. We had assurances from God that their dad was clean and that he'd even found Jesus in the midst of all the craziness with um, Department of Children's Services. And for that, we praise God, but it was still really hard to let go. In his powerful grace, Jesus used that painful letting go of King and Mary to open our eyes to a deeper spiritual reality. In Hebrews 3, the writer explains how Jesus is better than Moses. He says, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses' story is at least in part a story of adoption, but it's adoption seen solely as a social justice issue, and it goes terribly wrong until God makes it right. So Moses was abandoned by his mother, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and his adoptive grandfather cared for Moses and even made him a prince of Egypt. But his adoptive grandfather also believed he was God. As a result of this, he drove Moses to murder. He drove Moses away. And when after meeting the true living God face to face, Moses returned to Pharaoh to ask him to release him, Pharaoh refused. Why? Because he believed he knew how to raise kids better than God. If we view adoption solely as a social justice issue, how are we any different from Pharaoh? Secretly believing we're God and we know what's best, and we can fix everything, meanwhile making slaves and murderers of the very children under our care. At the core of adoption is a heart issue. 
Romans 8.23 says, We are the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. God's adoption of us is a declaration over you and over your parents and your birth children. It's a declaration over all of us that we are not God. We can't fix society. We don't have a clue about justice. And we don't own other people. Your children are not your children. They are God's children. They are in his hands. If in our sin we cling more closely to our kids and not to Christ, we will shove them deeper and deeper into slavery to sin and all manner of depravity. This has been a big part of my own personal journey. And this reality grievously wounds God's heart. A third way we get adoption wrong is failing to see Christ glorified through our own adoption. Shortly after Dylan came into our care, I had a dream that I was with his, his birth mother. In the dream, we were both strung out on drugs. And I remember thinking that if I just did this, this, and this, I could have the drugs and I could have Dylan too. I think that's the lie of Satan that's made so bald-faced and ugly in drug addiction, but for eyes to see it in our lives as Christians. When Christ prays for us in John 17, 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given to me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. Remember the uncomfortable feeling when Jessica was reciting Isaiah 58. Could, be that, could that be the first fruit of the Spirit in us, of that adoption groaning in us? The more we grow in our understanding of Christ, the more we will groan for the perfect liberty of being the children of God. This anxious groaning of our adoptive home with God, when Pastor John Owens wrote, is the, one of the choicest effects of a life of faith. Owen says this groaning tells us both what we would be delivered from and what we attain to. God's adoption of us isn't just some junkie's dream where we can have both the things of this world and the glory of Christ. In Romans 8, 19, Paul uses the Greek word apokeradoxia to describe a desire to see Christ's glory. It means with head outstretched to anxiously expect it. Many of us love this world too well to behold the glory of Christ. The truth is Jesus Christ alone perfectly understands the eternal blessedness of our adoption, and this is the sum of how he intercedes for us, that we may see with our own eyes where he is to behold his glory. So then, is it not our duty to repent and continuously desire the same view of our adoption in Christ, that same view of Christ which he prays for us, Little children understand this. Dylan prays for us and his birth parents daily. The good news is, of the gospel is, is Jesus is better than all of our failures. So in all the ways we get adoption wrong, Jesus just doesn't get adoption right. He reveals himself victorious with us. 
We proclaim the glory of Christ evident in this body of believers. We're grateful to God that we serve with missionaries like the Nasons and their commitment to see God's kingdom work in the hardest parts of our neighborhoods, like the Braswells and their selfless desire to give shelter and safety in the same way that God shelters us, like the Stewarts and the Stiglers and the Dunlaps and Moe and Tana Ottinger and Pat and Cullen Beard and believers near and far who are brought near in Christ and in the same way have brought orphans near to their family. We celebrate with the angels the power of Christ to redeem lives when we shield children from the outrages of broken homes and broken systems. In Christ, we have the power to take on damage for them and to even heal their lives. We celebrate with parents like ourselves and King and Mary's dad who are rescued by Christ and whose family whose families were restored. We glorify Christ in giving us this work, in sustaining us in this work, in declaring himself through us and making all things new. Christ healed Dylan's body. He gave him the ability to walk. He performed miracles in our home. I don't know, I use that word lightly, miracle, right? But I feel like when a neurologist tells you that's a miracle, it's kind of, a bona fide miracle at that point. We, he healed King and restored his right mind to him. Mary, he protected and shielded and gave such joy. We daily hear in God's, see God's work in Solomon's through his kindness, his patience, and his deep love for the children in our home. He now claims Jesus as his own. And we've been given sweet assurance after assurance that God continues to pursue children long after they've left our care and long before they come into our care. We're praying now over another adoption and are already encouraged by God leading us each step. We've had trials. Children have been yanked out of our house in traumatic ways. Our house was broken into. We daily hear gunshots. Our family is exposed to the despair and rage infesting our city on a weekly basis. But even in this, Christ has exalted us. He's been so kind and gentle with us. He shows us the riches of his word and his truth every day. His spirit comforts us along with many of the people in this room. And having seen these hazy glimpses like something through a darkened mirror, we long to see more through our own adoption to know Christ's glory to see him face to face, to bring others to that place with us, to be united in his family. Adoption reminds me and Jessica that in every way we get things wrong, Christ gets it more than right. So adoption for us is very much a reflection of God's love for us and for the nearness of his kingdom to those who love him. And it is this loving reflection that sweetens the groaning we feel through the Holy Spirit. We, like so many orphans, throughout this world are groaning for a loving home, for a home with God, for the safety of his arms, for our salvation. And maybe that's one of the most valuable things about adoption in this life. It makes the world uncomfortable. It is not the stuff of blockbuster movies. Trauma is, the trauma is just simply too much sometimes. The need for repentance the groaning, the sadness, the anxiety to see Christ glorified in broken families and broken childhoods forces us deeper into prayer. It makes us long that much more to run toward God's kingdom, 
to hasten toward our Father's home and to see Christ in his glory just as he prayed for us. Thank you all for listening. The last story you're going to hear today um, comes from Michael and Kristen Penn. Watch this video. It'll give an explanation of Safe Families and um, what hosting looks like and what Safe Families organization is about. Michael and Kristen are going to come and share. And then Katie, the Safe Families director, my wife, many of you know her, she's going to come and share um, just some, some easy ways that you could be involved in Safe Families. I should know how to work one of these. Good morning. Um, so Michael and I were sitting almost exactly, well, not in this building, a playhouse on the square, but a morning a lot like this morning um, when Katie Dunlap came and spoke about safe families um, in the gathering. And Michael and I had only been married, I think, a few months at that point, and we had discussed um, the option of adoption or foster care, but we weren't quite ready, I think, to make the leap. And when she got up to speak, I just felt the Lord really convicting my heart, um, not in just that I feel guilty I'm not doing this way, but in a deep personal calling sort of way. But I'm really stubborn, <laughs> and I didn't listen. And a few weeks later, I think, Maybe a week or so later, I was serving in the nursery, and I was holding Mary, Ben and Jessica's little foster child. And I was holding her, and I was knowing that she doesn't necessarily belong to them, and how beautiful that was. And she just looked up at me and smiled. She had the best smile ever, <laughs> really did. And um, the Lord convicted my heart again, and he, it was more stern this time. So came home that day, told Michael, immediately like started Googling exactly like the details of it. And we sent Katie an email and like filled out the application like that day, sent it in. Um, I just really felt like God was calling us to that, and we really didn't know what we were getting into. <laughs> um, we've hosted four boys, never a girl, never a girl, uh, four boys, um, two were respite care, one was for two weeks, and then another was two days, um, and then we hosted a little boy um, for, I think the first time was four months and then outside of Safe Families, the mom contacted us again, and we ended up hosting them, I think, for another half of a year. And we still have a really strong relationship with that family. And then um, we are now hosting another little boy. And we've had him for, I think, six, six weeks. Yeah. Um, and it's just been a really beautiful story. Um, I knew his mother from a school that I taught at in inner city Memphis. And um, 
She would come to my classroom every day to get a sucker because I always had candy because I'm that teacher that bribes children. <laughs> and, uh, yes. And um, so she would always come in, sit in the chair next to my desk in my planning period and have a sucker, and we would talk. And um, for the last six weeks, I've got to tuck her little boy into bed every night as, as um, we, talk, we, we talk to mom almost every night, and I think that's really important. That's beautiful. That's the beautiful thing about safe families is that we're not breaking families apart, and I'm not taking someone's child, and as much as I'd want to keep some of them, and I've, you know, you kind of wrestle with those thoughts, like they're in our home. It would be so easy. You know, they're so lovable. I'm just reminded again and again of the beauty of reconciliation and, and how God can restore those relationships, and us helping a family for a short period of time really helps them stay together. And um, so we don't know how long this hosting will be. Um, usually the hostings are two, three months, um, but we've already kind of fallen in love with um, Elijah, who you'll see me walking back and forth with because he has three-year-old meltdowns, um, and that's a real reality. But... We are not perfect in this at all. Um, five years ago, I went through a really rough divorce. And I kind of thought, oh, well, God can't use us in this way. Or maybe, we're too, maybe I'm too broken. But I'm just reminded again and again of God's grace and his mercy. And if he can use me and Michael and our kids who are learning so much through this process, I feel like maybe that would be an encouragement to you that you don't have to have your whole life together. You might need a bed, but you don't have to have your whole life perfectly worked out because each and every day as believers, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And every day that I make a mistake or four mistakes or 20 mistakes as a parent, I'm just reminded again and again of God's grace. And he calls me back to him each morning. And his mercies are, are new every morning. And um, I just find so much comfort in knowing that he's in this with us. Again, my name is Michael. Um, we... Again, are not special. We're not anything to hold on any kind of pedestal by any means. These children, I mean, you look at their smiles and you can't help but just like melt. Um, and being able to just help for a small amount of time is just you can't you can't say how important it is. It's just is. I love it, waking up every day and being able to go in there and just, he looks up and he says, I love you. And you're like, I love you too. And you know, even though he's three, I mean, we host him more than just him, but even just in this situation, he just looks at you and he tells you he loves you. And you're just, you know, you're, you're following God's plan and God's story is, is acting and, and working. And um, I would just encourage you that if you are not in any way a part of of someone's life who is in need, a mother who has a child, um, just give it some thought. I know um, a lot of people in here who are doing a lot more than us, but God is just is working in this family, this 
this uh, church family, and I'm thankful for every one of you uh, who's helped us with our, our safe families, children that we've been able to help, but uh, I would just encourage you to, uh, to think about how you as a family could help uh, with this, and um, even in the smallest ways, like, like Brad said, just uh, helping somebody on a date or, or something like that, um, you know, you can have a huge impact on these children. Uh, just God is, is working, and I am so thankful to be a part of uh, a wonderful church family who, who's taken on something like Safe Families and that we get to be a part of that. Um, I'm thankful for these mothers. Uh, you know, a lot of them are a part of that statistic that you're showing. And um, we're still helping those mothers too. And please think about them when we're thinking about safe families and, and how we can impact that. And um, yeah, I just ask that you'd pray about that in, in your daily life where you could um, assist one of these mothers or some of these children. Uh, just keep that in your prayers. Thank you. Um, I'm just reminded this morning that God writes the most beautiful stories, and I'm probably going to get up here and cry because it's just what I do, but I'm just so grateful um, just to be part of a church who cares about these things and is actively involved, and um, God has written my story in a way that he's just given me a huge heart for families who are struggling um, and I can look back and see how he has written my story in a way that's just shaped my heart to, to deeply care for families who are in crisis. And um, he has given me the opportunity to be the local director for Safe Families um, here in Memphis. And there are lots of days when I just want to quit. There's lots of tears that I've cried. There are days when it feels hopeless and like, what are we even doing? Is this making a difference? Um, but I'm just reminded today that, you know, God is at work and we can trust him. Um, and so I'm so thankful for Michael and Kristen and there's other people in this room who are involved with Safe Families and I'm so grateful for you guys. Um, basically, Safe Families is an alternative to traditional foster care. And we, it's really a movement of volunteers. We partner with local churches to um, host children of parents who are going through a crisis. And we just try to provide that parent or those parents, sometimes it's both parents together, um, with a little bit of time to, you know, just be able to focus on what they need to do to get back on their feet and um, to provide a more stable environment for their family. And so part of my story is just uh, even in our adoption is that I have a, a really big heart for birth moms. And um, I just think that um, they just love their children really well. And I have a heart for moms who are... Um, who are trying to make it, but it's life is just hard. And Michael, you're exactly right. A lot of the moms that we work with grew up in foster care, and so they're part of the statistics that were shared earlier, and they're just still struggling. Their support system is really um, limited. 
And so um, I always encourage our host families and volunteers when we talk about orphans and widows to view these moms that we work with as they're the orphan. They're the ones who, you know, we can still come around them and wrap around them and love on them and help them as they um, try to get where they're going. And so a lot of our ministry is just being with people who are um, in a hard place and have probably been in a hard place for a long time. And so we aren't here to fix anything. The problems that exist are too big for us to fix, but we trust in a God who can, and, and he has called us to just do, have the ministry of being his ambassadors and being with people in their struggle. And so um, there are lots of ways to get involved. Um, I just, there's a slide um, that you can put up that just shows some ways to get involved. We're, we're moving toward a new um, model that's new to Safe Families. It's, it's not really new, but we're a, a, adapting it to what we do. But it's called Circles of Support. And so if you have heard about Safe Families through the video and through Michael and Kristen and would like information about how you can get involved, this will provide a little clarity. Um, kind of at the, the center of the circle of support is the relationship between the family that's in crisis and the host family because the host family has their kid. <laughs> so that's a really strong relationship. Like I usually kind of bow out at the during the hosting because the parent really just wants to, they don't want to talk to me anymore. They want to talk to the people who have their baby, um, whether it's a little baby or a big baby. So everything kind of revolves around that relationship, but other ways to get involved are by being a family friend. And that's just someone who can just be a friend to that parent as they um, do what they you know feel that they need to do in order to get their children back. Um, and to, to be back together. And so the family friend just provides friendship and support, encouragement, and accountability along the way. And then there's a family coach that works pretty closely with me just to help oversee the hosting to make sure that the host families feel supported, um, that they have what they need. And if there's anything, you know, that comes up that's, they're like, they don't know what to do, then they contact me and I help them figure it out. But we're volunteer driven. And, um, and so it, um, it, that's one of the most amazing things to me is that there are people who don't get paid to do this. Um, but they just do this because they know that God's been gracious to them and they want to be gracious to other people. So the main differences between safe families and foster care are that it is voluntary. The parents choose it. It's not something that's being um, you know, court ordered, or it's not mandated. Um, they're choosing it, and so it empowers that parent to be proactive instead of reactive. And then also, um, like I said, the volunteers don't get paid um, in order, you know, to host the children. And um, it's temporary, and the parents don't lose custody. That's one of the big things is that they maintain custody, and they can get their kids back whenever they're ready. And if we know that the kids are going to be safe, then we're totally fine with that. So we're all about making sure that kids are safe and trying to keep families together when possible. So if you're interested in any more um, information, you can visit the website. It's safe-families.org, or I'd be happy to talk with you. So thank you. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned, like in the video, um, because we are a church of missional communities, 
Um, I just think that this circles of support model works really well within the context of like a small group. And so it would be amazing if um, your small group has someone who's already involved with Safe Families. We could talk about the potential of like creating a circle of support within your missional community. Um, I just think when I saw this model, I thought, man, this is perfect for missional communities. And we've already got people that are involved sprinkled throughout our MC. So just keep that in mind and, and we might be able to make some of these circles of support within our MCs. I'm going to get a couple of things. Um, one, I apologize for not telling you to bring your tissues with you today. Um, two, I'm going to get one of the other elders to host next time we do this um, <clears throat> so that I can just sit and blubber over to the side. Um, I'm deeply encouraged by the stories that have been shared this morning and literally dozens and dozens of other stories that are currently taking place throughout the life of our church family. Um, a lot of our family's not here this morning. That's okay. Um, I just ask the Pins and the Roberts, just share what the Spirit puts on your heart. We just want to celebrate what Jesus is doing. We want to be obedient um, to what the Spirit is calling us to do. And um, when I planned... Um, God drew my attention to Isaiah 21 through 23. And I just want to end with this. Isaiah chapter 1, 21 through 23. I just want to read it. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. When you read the book of Isaiah, it's really, really interesting. And he goes on to say, this is why I'm going to bring judgment upon you. It's why I'm going to actually... Um, encourage the work of your enemies who are going to overthrow you. God's connection to righteousness and judgment is always connected to remembering the least of these who are among us. And I think we've lost that as a society. We've lost that as individuals who are so concerned about what you can do for me today that we've lost the fact that even in these small stories that might seem insignificant in light of statistics, even in these small stories, society and generations are changed. And uh, that's what I want us to think about, and I want to encourage you to leave here with this morning. As you think about what's been shared and the statistics that have been shown, it might be that we one day join with other churches who say we're going to have a campaign to end foster care, that we would have more, essentially more waiting families than we have foster families. We, we might do that one day. Right now, I think what's most important is that we listen and we say, God, 
As much as we want to solve the problem and as much as we want to have great programs, more importantly than that, God, we want to be a people who are obedient. Because if you talked with every one of the families who had shared this morning and every family throughout our church family, they would tell you that they, their lives are filled with struggles. There's lots of times of uncertainty. But one of the beauties about hearing these stories today is that there are glimpses that the Spirit is up to so much more in our lives, in the individual's lives that we're connected to, and then in the greater families, that God is up to so much more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And we're going to write a book one day. And we're going to see the stories that unfold. And when I say we're going to write a book, I'm not talking about me or you. We're going to look around one day in heaven. And we're going to see so much that's taken place and so much that's unfolded and so much more than we could ask for or imagine because God is at work and we chose to be obedient. Um, There's some resources for you that are on the screen And uh, you can take a picture of those, the America's Kids Belong website. Um, You can also follow the Heart Gallery on Facebook in which those videos are posted. Um, The Christian Alliance for Orphans webpage is just amazing, the amount of resources that are there. Um, Safe Families for Children, and then there's also a local Memphis page. Um, Even more than that. If you would indulge me for a moment, if you have been through PATH classes and you've um, served children who are in the foster care system, just stand up for me so we can see who you are and know if God's putting that on our heart, who are the people that we could talk with who have resources that know about. If you've been through PATH class, if um, if you've fostered or haven't, now keep standing. Um, If you've adopted before, And then that's part of your story, stand up or remain standing, um, whatever that may be. Um, And there's several adopted uh, families who have adopted who aren't here with us this morning. Now, if you've ever worked with safe families before, if you've ever hosted children, um, stand up. So if you look around, thank you guys for standing. You guys can sit. If, If you look around, you can see there's a lot of websites you can go to. There's a lot of just people who are among us. And you can say, how could I get involved? What are ways that I could serve you and your family? God has drawn our attention. How could we, how did God work in your life? Would you share your story with me? Um, Finally, I want to encourage us um, to ask you to pray with us. We continue to work with what we call Mercy House. it's, a, it's simply a piece of property that uh, our church family has worked on for the last three years that a couple um, leases to Mercy Hill, and we've seen that property renovated. Um, we have a, uh, a young lady who lives there who's our resident assistant, and for the last three months or so, that property's been vacant. And we have two bedrooms for single moms um, who are able to stay there and work through the, the plan and program that uh, our Mercy House Ministries board has put in place. Uh, there's a couple of moms who are on the radar right now um, who have put in applications or in that process. We just want you to pray 
Um, pray for our Mercy House board that God to give them wisdom to know how to come around these moms well. Um, pray for these moms uh, who are in really difficult circumstances. You know, oftentimes they're sleeping in their car. Um, they've kind of run out of resources by the time they reach safe families. Pray for them. Um, no one chooses to grow up in poverty. No one chooses to grow up with trauma. No one chooses to grow up with a lack of resources. Um, but God does choose us. And we can respond when he calls to us and calls us to be uh, obedient. Um, one last resource I want to share with you. If you are interested in knowing um, more of Ben and Jessica's story, um, I've seen this story before. And it's a really well done um, three-part film. I'll put it on the slide for you uh, we don't have a slide made yet, but we'll, we'll get a slide made for you so you can see it at the end. Go to movingworks.org slash raised. Movingworks.org slash raised. And there's a three-part film that documents their story. It's really well done. Um, it's an amazing film to both watch and share with your friends. Today, as, as we prepare our hearts just to come to the Lord's table and to be reminded of his gospel, uh, today may be special for some of you because today may be the first day that, that you've really understood that um, you were an orphan and that you were far from God and that God drew near through the person of Jesus and that you're adopted and that's what the gospel tells us. And so as we come to the Lord's table, all who follow Jesus are invited to come and, and be reminded of his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, so that we could be forgiven, that we could be made right with God, that we could be loved. I think we take that for granted a lot. I talked with a friend and God broke my heart this morning in Starbucks. There's an old man that talks to me regularly in there. And he had been to a funeral of a friend from, um, and he just, he said, you know, I think life's all about love. I think it's all about forgiveness. And he was trying to convince himself that every religion is right with God. And he was describing some of those things to me. And he said, what do you think? And it's, it, he my heart was broken for him because in that moment, I looked at him and I said, I think you're right. I think it's all about love and I think it's all about forgiveness. But I think Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think we forget that we have friends and family who are all around us who think it's all about love and they think it's all about forgiveness and that's right, but they think it's about their love and their forgiveness it's just like Ben said this morning, we don't have enough. We can't do it on our own, but Jesus has done it for us. It's all about Jesus. May we be a people who remember Jesus' love for us. And may his love shine through us in such a way that we point others to him. May we be reminded of that this morning as we come, as we worship at his table. Bow with me as we pray. I'm going to invite the band to come forward and those who are serving communion. 
Father, today we thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you came and that you lived a life we couldn't live. Jesus, thank you that you died on our behalf, but that you didn't stay dead and that you rose again. And just as we sang earlier, Jesus, thank you that you stand in victory today. And that God, as we face turmoil in this life, as individuals face trauma and wounds, God, as we seek to obey you and follow you and what you've commanded us to do, God, may we be reminded today as we worship at your table that Jesus, you stand in victory and that Jesus, because of you, we find forgiveness. God, we find adoption. We find a forever family and we find hope. Jesus, may we be obedient to follow you with great joy in all the works that you have prepared for us. May we listen to your voice even as we worship at your table today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.